we were obviously at this point, we were running out of money and we had no more money from anything. We were t- tapped out on credit cards, tapped out on the stimulus checks. We'd already spent it all. We were automatic dialing at this point and we were running out of money to pay for those subscriptions. So we were like, the next week we're going to run out of money. Uh, we, we, we have no choice at this point. We'd burn the bridges, meaning we, we, how, we didn't know how else we were going to pay other than by getting a deal closed. So we had a lot of fire under us. And we told God, you know what? We're not going to stop. If, even if we have to hand dial, we're going to keep going. So so happened that like the next week we actually closed on our biggest deal that was like four times the amount of our debt. So we not only paid it off, but made a big profit. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Abundant Journey podcast. I am your host, Nick James, along with my co-host today and co-captain, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you? I'm fantastic. I uh, always love getting to sit down and do this with you. And uh, we have another incredible guest today. So um, I'll let you do the introduction, but super excited to to get to sit down again. Yep, super excited. And we are in different locations. We might have to meet one another by boat due to spring not showing up here in the Northwest. Our guest is Jeffrey Donis coming to us from North Carolina. I'm sure the weather's warmer, the spring is better, and uh, things are going well for him. We're super excited about this episode. Him and his brothers are real estate investors, syndicators, operators, and super excited to spend some time with him and hear his story. What might shock most of you is his age and how these guys are just absolutely getting after it and everything they do. Jeffrey, hopefully that was a good enough intro. Thanks for being on. How are you? I'm doing well, and I thought it was an amazing intro. Thank you. I, I don't know if I deserve all of the nice words, but I appreciate you both for having me. I've never had two Nicks host me before, so <laughs> you know that um, might be our claim to fame. And I will say this: we got an episode coming in a couple of weeks with another guy who is going to be a guest, and his name is Nick. So it's going to be uh, three of us. It's going to get a little wild. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's going to be the spinoff to another new podcast endeavor with just the three next podcast. You know? <laughs> it could be, man. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It might be a little too crazy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. All right. I'll, I'll back it off. We'll, <laughs> well, Jeffrey, you know, again, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to get into your story. We're going to get into a little bit about what you're doing today. You are a more experienced podcaster than us because you and your brothers have a podcast. Podcast, and we'll give you a plug for that here in a bit and let you share a little bit about what you guys focus on. But I want to start today with going back to the early days, which uh, for you is younger years. So tell us a little bit about life growing up. Are you yeah. from North Carolina? Give us a little bit of your history. For sure. Uh, and again, thank you for having me. So I grew up here in Durham, North Carolina, originally born in Queens, New York. I was raised by my single mother who originated from Guatemala, which is a Central American country. And I grew up with my two siblings, sorry, my three siblings. I have an older sister, a twin brother, and an older brother. I'm 21. I got started in real estate at 18 alongside my two brothers. So growing up, I, as I mentioned, was low income. I uh, grew up playing soccer. And I think a, a big ex- memory that I have from that that has shaped me into sort of becoming the entrepreneur that I am today was while I was playing uh, club soccer, obviously I don't know if you guys played club sports uh, sports growing up, but it can be fairly expensive. And I was playing with a lot of more affluent families and kids from those families. 
I was I think I was one of like the only few kids who ever really had to go and uh, apply for financial aid and things like that. And that showed me that one I knew uh, it kind of made it obvious how I was low income and other kids weren't. Uh, and the reason I bring up this story up is I think that was really what sparked my interest in becoming financially free. And mm. uh, my brothers and I all got into mm. real estate at the same time with the intention of retiring our single mom. Uh, so that was the really the thing that put the fire mm. under us to do that. Uh, so to k- kind of get into the story of real estate, I was a college freshman a few years ago at a local university here in North Carolina. All, my, all three of us, my two brothers and myself, were at our respective universities. We didn't go to school together, but we were close before then. Uh, obviously drifting a little bit further and further apart throughout that year that we didn't really talk as much. But once we found out about real estate, um, I'll, I'll go into that story if that's okay. Uh, a little sure. bit more into details. But of course. So we were, we'd heard about real estate. My brother was on his couch in his college dorm room and he was just surfing on YouTube. I think he was eating something, probably fast food. Uh, and, and he was just watching YouTube videos. I don't know if you guys have heard of The Breakfast Club by Charlemagne yeah. the God, but he brought on a guest by the name of uh, Mark Witten. And Mark is a uh, African-American. He came from a low-income background as well. But at the point of him having this interview, he had started a multi-million dollar real estate company, and he got started with wholesaling. So once my brother heard his story, mm-hmm. it really allowed him to see someone that he could relate to, and it inspired him to look more into what wholesaling was. And eventually, he pushed that onto us. So before we took any action, we went on a trip to Guatemala for the first time. I'd never been. And when I got there, I saw all of my cousins and nephews and uncles, aunts, pretty much all my direct family members who I'd never seen but only heard of stories. Uh, And I saw how low income they actually were. I used to tell myself this narrative of, oh, I'm like poor. But I went over there and I was like, this is real poverty. Like to heat up our our hot water, you had to put it under a fire. I saw them wearing T-shirts that my mom would send as I was growing up. I would have shirts that I'd outgrow or shirts that were too big for me. She'd send it in these huge boxes. And I was like, where are these boxes going? Like these are huge, you know? (laughs) And I like eventually just walking around, I'd see my aunt wearing my like shirt that I forgot about. Or my, my little cousin wearing a shirt that I completely actually loved. And I actually got mad at my mom for sending it. But now I'm like, wow, oh, they're still wearing it. And the crazy thing was they made the most of those things that I found pretty insignificant. So once we got back hmm. from that trip, it really humbled me and made me realize how many resources I wasn't making the most of. Wow. And with my time while I was at school. As I'm sure you know, a lot of college kids get into different things. Uh, I was a pretty good student, but I was also doing things on the side that weren't I think beneficial to my long-term success. So once I got back, we all started hustling, cold calling for about two hours a day in our dorm rooms. uh, And then COVID-19 hit. We got sent home because of that, the pandemic. So now that we were at home together without any distractions, it was just online school and real estate. Slowly, I started caring less and less about school and more and more about getting my first deal. And then once I closed my first deal, it took me six months to do that, my brothers and I. Uh, we then eventually all left school and pursued real estate full-time. So that's sort of the intro to how I got into real estate. Wow. That's amazing. And when you say that you came back from, um, am I saying Guatemala, right? Yeah, Guatemala. Uh, Guatemala. I, okay. I, 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 my, uh, my Americanness <laughs> is showing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, so when you came back, um, were you – and you said you're, you're hustling, cold calling. Is that in wholesaling at that point? Yeah, when I got okay. back, 
wholesaling. <clears throat> right on. And uh, just so, and that would have been like 2019, right before the the pandemic and everything. So exactly. A pretty good time, I mean, to to get started in, in wholesaling. And when you said um, your first deal was that a, a wholesale deal or was that actually something? Okay. Yeah. Um, I can. I'd right love on. to like elaborate, but I just don't want to because it can be a long yeah. story. So I'll just quickly go over it. We got into it as soon as we got back. Obviously, uh, do you guys have like a wholesaling background by any chance? Not too much. Uh, familiar with it, Nick? You might have a little more. I yeah, actually, uh, was uh, worked with wholesalers in yeah. uh, Minneapolis. Uh, more, I was on the investor uh, side yeah. of the the conversation, but. It's a cool business. For sure, for sure. I think it's a great way to cut your teeth, and that's how we did it. So mm-hmm. uh, we were cold calling after we got sent home from school. We hadn't closed our first deal. That was about two months of learning how to pull list of data, learning how to skip trace, learning how to actually dial and cold call, getting over that, that fear of rejection. So eventually, mm-hmm. for the first two months, no deals. And then once we were home, instead of just two hours a day, we could cold call from 9 to 8 p.m. throughout the week and then 10 to 6 on the weekends because we had wow. no distractions and no one was doing anything, right? So I was trying to like build a business during that time. So eventually, I was able to close our first deal as a that was a wholesale deal. That's amazing! Wow. And so, any idea how many calls a week in this? You and your two brothers, right? I mean, any idea how many calls a week yeah. the three of you were making? Yeah. So, cool thing about the dialer is you can dial three numbers automatically at the same time. Obviously, most people don't answer, so it would dial three numbers. And I remember I would start at nine. I was pretty religious about it, nine to eight. And all th- eventually, once we closed our first deal, it was a big deal. So I had a lot of money to invest right back into the business. So now instead of just one person calling, it was three on an automatic dialer calling three numbers at a time. So I remember at my list, if I wasn't hitting like a thousand numbers a day, just on like the automatic dialer, and we were all doing it, it was probably like a few thousand a day. Now obviously, that's not three thousand conversations. But we were we were we were banging sure. them out, man. It was a, it was a hustle. Yeah, and and what I love about that, that's incredible. And, and what I love is that you see so many folks right now on social media say, "Hey, you know, you can do this. You can have the high life. You can achieve this wealth." And there's not a lot of information given on the amount of effort and amount of work that goes into it. And so. I think it's it's huge just on the real estate side to recognize you were doing this for six months before you got a first deal and you were making thousands upon thousands of calls. And so I think a lot of times we watch a video and the people who are in the video make it sound like, hey, you know, you can do this. Just follow my three easy steps and you're going to become a millionaire overnight. It just doesn't work that way. And you guys are a living testament to that work ethic. Now, going back a little bit here, and I want to I want to go back a little bit further to those early years playing soccer, seeing your mom. I love that piece of your story. But in thinking about the work ethic, did you learn that from her? Did you know, did you learn that from other people? Did you have a mentor? I mean, early years before even real estate where did that come from? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of multiple things. So my mom, till still to this day, uh, she works two jobs and she works all day. From she leaves at like seven, and then she'll come back for from like three to four, home, and then she'll leave again. I uh, won't come back till like eleven or twelve. So wow. it's all day. And wow. I, I think like even if I were to retire my mom tomorrow, I still think she'd work <laughs> to give you an idea as like who she is. So just from like kind of. People say you can kind of cut from a different cloth. Not to say I am, but 
looking up to her just in regards to her work ethic. I think a lot of people, obviously, uh, my faith comes number one, but outside of that, work gives me a lot of fulfillment. Um, so I think my mom is similar in that sense. And throughout her life, she's uh, obviously worked hard to raise four kids on her own. Uh, and yeah. in order to do that, mm-hmm. I think she must have gotten some fulfillment doing it. And I would see her do that. And not really, she'd complain sometimes, but um, who wouldn't, in my opinion? It's hard not to. Right. And um, yeah, so I would say for sure that. But as I've just learned more and more, and I still have a lot more to learn, I've tried surrounding myself with other people who are actually doing what I want to do or things that I, I, I strive to do and accomplish. And I see and ask them good questions and try to at least. And as I do that, I actually get the, to get, like you said, like the real information, like how much work does it actually take? Did you actually struggle raising this amount of money, finding these deals? How many deals did you have to underwrite to get this apartment complex under contract? Mm. Things like that. And I read mm-hmm. a lot of books too, listen to a lot of podcasts. So as you get real testimonials, testimonies, on what it took for another individual to become successful, you start to really understand like that it does take hard work. Uh, and a big guy, I'm, I'm not, a lot of people don't like him, but Grant Cardone with 10X, that book really helped form yeah. uh, my mindset when it came to the amount of work certain things take. Yeah, that's a, gr- that's a great book and a great plug. I think so often in our Americanized culture, we have this mindset that, well, if I work out in the gym for a week or two, I should have a chiseled body like a movie <laughs> star. Or we say, hey, I, you know, I've made 10 cold calls. How come I haven't closed the deal? Or I have a great idea and I've posted it on social media three times. How come I don't have a thousand followers yet? And there's just this massive disconnect between the amount of effort it takes and the results. And it is a direct relationship, right? And I I have some experience in cold calling in my background as well for an investment firm. And it was was like this realization of, all right, I have to make 250 calls to actually get 40 people on the Mm -hmm. phone to actually have one to two say they would love to meet with an advisor. And that ratio... 250 calls takes a whole day. So you're right. It's it's an it's a full eight hour day just to get 40 people on the line. And so I I, I can't emphasize that enough, but I, I love the I love the fact that your mom instilled that in you by living it. And she yeah. and she it, it didn't really have any other choice, right? I mean, right. she was working to provide and support you guys. So, so let me ask you this: Before jumping into real estate, did you did you or your brothers? I mean, did you guys jump into the workforce for like a nine to five early on, or were you doing other side hustles, or was it just like growing up, college, and then real estate? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how uh, how you put it. It's exactly how it happened. This, the latter. So, I was a freshman when I got into real estate. I was six months into my my freshman year. Obviously, uh, most 18-year-olds are probably not looking for 9 to 5s, nine and I wasn't either. I was in school, focused on getting my degree, and then I was, on the side of that, I was doing my wholesaling, or my, my real estate company, I was building that. And as I started to learn more and more about what an entrepreneur was, I started reading Robert Kiyosaki books, and understanding that maybe getting a job wasn't what I wanted, actually, in the long run. So as I got sent home from covid Less and less time was spent in the classroom, and more and more time was spent reading books. I have like six books behind me. I don't think you can see it because of the screen, but I try to read like at least you know one to two books a four to four four books a month, one 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 a week. So slowly, instead of reading like the textbooks at school, I was reading other books and listening to podcasts, and I was learning from different teachers. Robert Kiyosaki likes to call them real teachers. I'm not saying fake teachers are in school, but that's what I was looking for: people that were doing what I wanted to do learning from them. 
And mm-hmm. I realized that I can just, why not try to build a business on the side? So eventually I started shifting most of my focus on my business versus school and immediately transitioned from school into my wholesaling that led to creative financing, fix and flips, and then the apartment space. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. What, um, and curious in terms of the real estate, obviously you've shared that you jumped into it for you, your brother listening to that podcast was like the first eye opening experience for real estate. Is that kind of the launching point for all three of you? Or were you curious and interested in real estate before that? Yeah, I'd say he definitely launched us into it because I didn't really think real estate was anything other than being an agent at the time. Uh, and then I started first read rich dad, poor dad. Then I started listening to bigger pockets and then I started listening to other podcasts like Wholesaling Inc. and things like that. That really just led me to not only see other individuals, and I think the main thing is, especially when you're like new and you haven't done it, seeing other people and their testimonies, and a lot of these people are just like you. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes, sometimes you're like, wow, if they can do it, I can do it too. And then you start going to events, which I started doing, uh, meeting people, that, and I hadn't done a deal at this point. And then... It, when I started getting into the apartment space, same mindset of I hadn't seen myself do it, but I was looking at other people who were doing it. And you start to think that you can do it too. So uh, initially, to go back to your question, my brother found it, but the education was the first phase. And a lot of people get stuck in that phase. They call it paralysis analysis. Fortunately, we weren't stuck in it too long. Uh, I've learned now, looking back, that I learned way more by actually going after things and doing it than you can ever learn by reading books. Obviously, you need to have some type of foundational knowledge, but uh, eventually, by actually taking action, and together we did that as a unit, uh, we were able to actually learn a lot more. Mm-hmm. For those uh, first six months that were leading up to your first deal, I'm going to have uh, <clears throat> two questions. Yeah. Um, one is just, uh, you know, did it feel risky to you to um, leave school and uh, you know, were there uh, what, what kind of risk did you feel like you were experiencing and in stepping into mm. uh, initially wholesaling and, and real estate? And then the other piece um, to it is just, and you might've spoken to it some with the community of people that you had around you. Um, but uh, six months of making multiple thousands of calls a day and uh, not getting uh, it's a lot of rejection to face. Was there any point during that time initially where you're kind of like, I don't think this is going to work? And how did you overcome that? Yeah, I love that question. So I I truly don't think I go back often enough and often as I should and remember what we went through. And I'm still going through different things. Obviously, it looks different. But when we first got started, the first biggest risk we took was, uh, I'd say, before even dropping out of school, obviously to... They say to make money, you have to spend money. I don't think that's entirely true, but I do think if you have a little bit, it makes it easier. So for us, we really were broke. Uh, we had little to no money. I think we had my brother, my older brother, had a little bit of cash. And I was, I think, 17, about to turn 18 at the time. My older brother was 20, 21. He had a credit card. We didn't. And I think his limit was pretty good. <laughs> so I think he had like 4K on one and, and a few grand on the other. So this is not advice that I'm giving out to your audience, but <laughs> the first biggest risk, man, was he to pull lists, you have to buy the list, which can cost a few hundred to a few thousand, depending on how big your list is. And a list is just uh, a name, a number, 
uh, and, or a name and an address of typically homeowners. And we'd filter them based on different reasons or motivation levels and reasons they'd want to sell. It could be an absentee owner, meaning they don't live there, a vacant house, meaning no one lives there, or a landlord, meaning they're just renting, things like that. All of these are obviously going to make it a little bit more likely that they're willing to sell. So when we call them, maybe there's a higher chance that we'll actually be able to work something out. So we'd have to pay for that list. You then have to pay to attach the list and do like some, some, something we call skip tracing, which is when you try to find the number that's attached to the address. So all of that costs money that we didn't have, but we had a credit card. So we were like, man, we're willing to take the risk. Like We can make, obviously, this money back. This is like a no-brainer. And we swiped the cards. Eventually, fast forward six months later, $7,000 in credit card debt, zero deals. And we had a little bit of savings that I actually didn't know about. And I went to <laughs> but my mom. She was the one that had access to it. So we'd have to go and like go through her as this like the, the guards of the money, of the bank account. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think we already went to her at one point. She said yes, because it's our money. The second time, for another $500, we were like, Mom, we're, we're, we're so close, we can feel it. Uh, can we get like 500 more? And she was like, no, uh, no, absolutely not. You guys are wasting your money, you're wasting your time. And we were like, Mom, no, like, I, I promise this will work. Sorry, this is going to work. So eventually, she finally said yes, but this is the last time. And we spent that money. And I think either before or after, I get this story mixed up, randomly, this is God working his magic, COVID-19 had happened, and they started sending us these stimulus uh, refund checks. Yeah. yeah I don't know if, but it was, it was for school, because I, hadn't, I wasn't able to be in, in class, so I think they gave us some refund. So I got like a grand, my other brother got a grand. I was like, this is like two more lists, you know? <laughs> like right wow. there. <laughs> so we, we were able to just extend it a little bit and a little bit more, and all in all, we were obviously at this point, we were running out of money and we had no more money from anything. We were t- tapped out on credit cards, tapped out on the stimulus checks. We'd already spent it all. We were automatic dialing at this point and we were running out of money to pay for those subscriptions. So we were like, the next week we're going to run out of money. Uh, we, we, we had no choice at this point. We'd burn the bridges, meaning we, we, how, we didn't know how else we were going to pay other than by getting a deal closed. So we had a lot of fire under us. And we told God, mm-hmm. you know what? We're not going to stop. If, even if we have to hand dial, we're going to keep going. So it so happened that like the next week, we actually closed on our biggest deal. That was like four times the amount of our debt. So we not only paid it off, but made a big profit. So that was the biggest risk that we took up to that wow. point. And then when I got the check, no doubt. I, uh, I, I, I dropped out of school. <laughs> I was like, I made more money than <laughs> my, you know, a lot of my peers and like my friends who are a lot older than me are making yeah. in a year. There's no way I'm going back to school. Uh, so that was the next biggest risk. And the biggest like fear that I felt doing that was what my other friends would think, maybe society and how they view getting a degree. But I just needed to go to the right people and ask people that I look up to in the entrepreneurship space what they thought I should do. So I was able to do that through podcasts. But to give you another example of my twin brother, very similar. He was a lot better in high school as a student. So he had a full ride at a really prestigious university. So it took him a little bit longer to make that decision because I think he was more scared. Uh, but we were at an event in Belize, believe it or not, and we spent a decent amount of money to get there. But we were able to surround ourselves with people like Ken McElroy and Robert Kiyosaki. And we asked them what they thought we should do and, and if they thought he should drop out based on our situation. And they eventually said, do you want a job? We also asked our mentor this too. But multiple mentors we asked, 
do you think we should stay in school? And they told us, if you guys don't want to get a job, then there's no really no reason to get the degree other than educating yourselves, which you're doing through mastermind groups that you're already a part of. So eventually we just left, all of us. Uh, that was the next risk. But I think mm-hmm. taking risk, you have to approach it with a calcula- some type of calculation. Uh, I did that by asking mentors and people I look up to what their thoughts were. So those are like the top two that I, I can see. I, I'm, go ahead, Nick. That's an amazing answer. Thank you. No, I just, uh, I love uh, both of those elements and uh, I love how you guys are all in and, and we're all in and just so committed to, you know, like, yeah, it's, that's really cool. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Well, I just was going to ask as a follow-up, you know, clearly you are getting these answers from some incredible people. I'm wondering if you were getting different sort of feedback from folks in the community and in your, your circle there. And I think just in to step back, you know, I mean, there's some folks who I would imagine would hear this and they would be super inspired. And then there's some folks who would say there's, this is too much work. And then there's some folks who would be terrified out of their minds. So I'm just curious, kind of like who was in your, you know, it's probably super encouraging to hear from the Kiyosaki's of the world. Like, Hey, this is the wisdom that I would give to you. And there's so much credibility from folks like that, but maybe you weren't getting that same kind of feedback from your local community. Yeah, that's a great question. So well, before we close any deals, I remember being in, in our back shed. We were working. I was probably cold calling at the time. And my twin brother had just come back from his friend's house, my, my old friend too. I just didn't go because I was busy that day. And um, he came back, and he seemed – I could tell he was, his energy was off. He was very – he, he looked like he was not as motivated as he was when he left. And I was like, what's up? Because he was just looking at me. And he was like, man, I don't know if we made the right decision dropping out. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was telling me that the the mother of his friend told him that he didn't think that was, she didn't think that was the right decision. She thought at least we should go get our, our, our license and become an agent. And I think she had, she obviously was coming from a good place. Sure. But, and this, this, this line can come off as maybe a, a bit negative, but Dale Carnegie had a quote if I'm not mistaken, that was don't take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with. Uh, and I try to, to try to say that with you know, the, the best intentions. But for instance, my mom, like, it's hard to take business advice from her because she's never started a business. But as a mother, she's amazing. So I would take you know, motherly advice from her. And when I have children, I'd love to look mm-hmm. up to her in that way. Uh, but when it comes to running a business, that's not something that she's ever done. So it's hard for me to take her advice. But sure. for, and, and I, I applied that same mindset to this uh, woman who we consider as a someone that loves us and cares about us she's never really started a business so obviously her opinion it, it means something but i think you have to approach it with potentially you know she has less experience in that realm right so when we asked her that question or she has that opinion it's her opinion and she's entitled to it but that doesn't mean it has to be my opinion so that's what's my brother um so yes we had a lot of pushback from a lot of people and i think they have the right to do that because one they care about us and two we're taking a big risk, and maybe we were naive because we hadn't accomplished anything up to that point, really, other than one deal, uh, and we hadn't really built anything at that point. But obviously, if no one's going to believe in you more than you at first, and eventually, once you start getting results, it seems to be interesting how they're like, "Oh yeah, like I knew you could do it." <laughs> you know, like yeah, you guys are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's just funny, but yeah, we definitely did have pushback, and my mom was very sad, very upset. I don't think she's upset anymore. Uh, she still wishes we could we would have gone to school, uh, but I always tell her I can go back if I want to. So it's true. School will always be there. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it's awesome. I can't believe, uh, you know, what you and your brothers are doing, especially at such a young age. I imagine it blows a lot of, uh, the minds of the people that you grew up with as well, or the, the people that you did start college with, um, probably got a lot of them jealous at this point, but then again, I don't know how many of them are going to be, uh, making the phone calls and doing the initial hustle. Right. <laughs> so there's, uh, there's some things you've done that, that definitely set you, you apart. Um, I don't know if you got another question here, Nick, but I'm curious uh, how the business has evolved yep. over the last couple of years. From um, are, are you, from what I've seen and read about you, it doesn't sound like wholesale is the primary focus of your business anymore. It seems like you've kind of moved to, to bigger things than that. Maybe I'm uh, mistaken, but do you want to just talk to yep. us about uh, what the, the last couple of years have looked like as you've continued to grow the business and uh, your primary focus is now? For sure. Can you hear me okay? I want to make sure that... Uh... Yeah. All sound good? Okay. So initially, as I mentioned, wholesaling. And then with that first check, we invested a large portion of it into a mentorship by a guy named Pace Morby. It was a sub two. It taught us how to do subject two deals, which is when you take over a property subject to the existing mortgage, meaning you leave that in place. And another strategy that we focused on was seller financing. Similar, but there's no mortgage. So they own it free and clear. Uh, the seller is the bank. So that's how we learned how to do those strategies. We were able to get two rentals that way. And then we did a fair amount of wholesaling that year. I think we did a total of 15 total deals, uh, 12 or 13 wholesale deals, two creative finance deals where we, I sold one, we sold one a year ago, and we still own one today. And then we did one fix and flip. So that was the first year. Uh, we learned about apartment syndication pretty early on, fortunately. We thought we couldn't do it for obvious reasons, being too young, not smart enough, not having the right network, not having enough money, things like that. Eventually, we read, uh, we were listening to Grant Cardone, a different podcast, and we were just like, why can't we do it? Like, we're, we're working all day. We're learning as much as we can about this topic, single family. Why not try to do the same thing with multifamily? Uh, and I think that's where God really pushed us and gave us maybe the false sense of belief at first that we could do it. But eventually it would happen. So it's crazy how like you can just truly want something, work hard, and have faith, and it works. Um, mm -hmm. Because eventually we read this one book called The Best Ever Apartment Syndication by Joe Fairless. I'm sure you guys have heard of it or at least read it. But if you yeah. have it in the audience, mm -hmm. I definitely recommend it. We treated that as a textbook. Uh, we eventually took some action steps from it, which were the first one, start trying to cold call, which we fell on our face when we did that. Uh, people were asking us what your track record was, have you ever done a deal, et cetera. We had to say no, which led us to the next step, which was to find a mentor. So we joined two man man mastermind groups. The first one was a smaller one uh, called Multifamily Launchpad. Uh, that one was really just to give us the education. The second one was by a guy named Mark Kenny, and Tamil Kenny is his wife. Uh, they formed the group, and it's called Think Multifamily. That group was what really opened the floodgates to the deals that we've done and the deals that we'll be doing this year and the next year in the near future. Um, so that's the transition and how we started all the way into multifamily. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I love that, you know, you guys have made that transition. What I am curious, uh, you know, we've had a few other folks, uh, on our podcast who are syndicators. So one, just for the audience, remind us what syndication is. And two, what made you guys want to change into multifamily syndication? Yeah. So syndication is when you pull together a group of uh, investors' money 
and go and buy something for apartments. It's called apartment syndication because that's what you're syndicating with the intention of buying. So the reason we wanted to move into the commercial space, I think at first it's probably just because we were greedy, if I'm being honest. Or not greedy, but we saw it as something that we wanted to be in long term, and we saw that we could scale. We saw that we could make a lot more revenue because in initially in wholesaling, we obviously were generating income, but the amount of money we were spending was insane. I think at one point we had like four VAs. We were pulling so many, so much, so many lists, so much data, spending thousands of dollars a week. And yes, you can be making money, you know, ten to fifteen grand on, on an assignment fee, but we wanted to be investors. That was really more of a marketing company, which I have nothing against. We learned so much from it, but when we first heard about syndication, we were like, it seems like all these, you know, billionaires and ultra wealthy individuals are in commercial real estate and that's where we want to end up. So why not start now? Uh, so that was the first, I guess, uh, attraction to the space. But as we started to learn why it was better, there's obvious reasons. First, it's less risky. When you're looking at a hundred unit apartment building, you can have 10 people not paying and you still have 90 residents who are, who are paying hopefully, and they're covering your debt. But on one, you know, single family property, if that one resident stops paying, you're in charge of covering the debt. On top of that, it's easier to scale. You close on one apartment building, there's you know, one deal that you're closing on one day, hopefully. If it's single family, to get 100 units, you have to close on 100 different properties. And yeah. it'd be very, very hard to find one owner who owns all 100 units. So typically that deals with multiple different sellers. On top of it, commercial real estate, we look at it more of a numbers, at a, at a numbers perspective. And it is also, uh, in regards to single family, when you look at a single family property, a lot more emotions are attached. Typically homeowners, obviously they can get emotionally attached to their assets, uh, but when it comes to an apartment building, uh, it's more based on what a, how you would approach buying a business. So that's what we liked about it as well. Uh, so those are like some of the many reasons mm-hmm. why we were more attracted to getting into the commercial space. I, and one thing I'll add to that, this is my banker tip of the day. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the folks that we've had on the show, similar to you, understanding from the risk perspective, understanding multiple doors, and I think that conceptually resonates with people. The other thing that not everybody realizes is that when you are purchasing single-family homes, you as the buyer are what is underwritten by the bank. The bank Mm -hmm. looks at you and says, hey, what's your net worth? What's your ability to pay this? You know, even if it's an investment property, you primarily are the thing that they're looking at. But when you look at and step into commercial, because obviously I do commercial lending, the asset, the property, the business, because it is a business, that is yeah. what's being underwritten. And so I think a lot of times people feel overwhelmed or daunted by just the number of maybe doors or in addition to that, the the number or the dollar amount of the deal or the transaction, but understanding that that's the primary thing that's underwritten, it's, it's more straightforward in many ways in underwriting yeah. that than a single family home. So it sounds like two things that you guys did early on in transitioning was get a mentor and also spend time educating yourself into the commercial space. Were there other maybe things that helped you maybe either realize it was worth it or maybe things you, you had to learn or you re- you've recognized in yourself along this journey of like, hey, we need to do this to be successful? Yeah, so in, in regards to make sure I have your question sure. correct. 
like certain things that we did that have helped us. Yeah, usually? yeah, and in, in, okay. in, in, in making the transition from yeah. single family homes to commercial. Perfect. So the first thing I would say, it sounds like it can be very obvious, but we took a lot of action when we first got started. Regardless of what that was, I think it was imperfect action, right? Which I think is better than no action. By cold calling people, brokers, we realized that we were not going to be able to buy deals by ourselves, which let us know we needed a mentor. So that was the first thing. The second thing I would say was we were already present on social media, which I didn't know how that would play a role in the long run when I first started doing it. Because in single family, we weren't thinking about raising money. But now, looking back, and it was really easy to transition our content from single family, where we were just documenting our journey, which we still do. But now it's more so trying to educate and obviously trying to attract investors and things like that. Uh, it was very easy to transition that content into becoming a thought leadership platform, which helped us. Being younger and or just new in general, if you can establish credibility on a certain platform, it's going to help you in so many ways, especially when you're young. For me, I, I can walk into a lot of conferences and someone at least has seen a post I've made. I've been on a mm. podcast that they've heard me on. And especially when you're young or just new, when they hear you, they already know you. And it kind of just establishes some type of famili familiarity or credibility, which can really help when it comes to raising capital or forming partnerships. So that was one thing we did that I, I'm, I'm happy we did. Real quick. Mm -hmm. What uh, what social media platforms have you found to be um, either the easiest for you to work or that have been most beneficial for your business? Yeah, I say the number one uh, thing that you can do to raise money, I think, is getting on podcasts. That's been the best thing. And outside of that, I think it depends on where your avatar is. For us, I've gotten people from Instagram. I've gotten people on LinkedIn. I think those are the main two for me. Um, and then YouTube. Cool. Like If you can be really good at anything, I'd say be really good at YouTube. Because YouTube, the life, yeah. lifelong or longevity of videos in the lifespan of any video on YouTube, like you can have a video that you posted a year ago blow up in one year. So um, I think that's... And I think I heard YouTube is the second largest search platform in the, in the world. You know, it's like Google and then YouTube are the two places that people search for information. So... Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't mean to cut you no, off and um, the rest of what you're sharing, but um, it's kind of helpful to dig into social media is such a big world. Yeah. And so to actually hear where it is that you're finding success. Um, and that's cool about the podcasting side too, that that's been a, a real great yeah. place to establish credibility and source some deals. 100%. So. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of this is, I hate to kind of say mindset, but that's the biggest thing. I don't know if, it, I think it's because I'm young. And when I got started, I was young. So I think a lot of it comes from being naive and not having these limiting beliefs or learning pretty early on that all the limiting beliefs I have, I can just throw away. And then I don't allow yeah. new ones to come in. I think a lot of people, as they get older, maybe they just think they can't do it for whatever reason. They're in their W-2 and they think that you know all the people around them will find out. Small things like that, for me, I never had those even become a problem. So outside of that, uh, I'm trying to think. When we first got started, uh, we we were very, very obsessive. So that was another thing we were. And I, I think this can be a bad thing, but mm -hmm. I don't know. We were approaching syndication as the new main focus, and we put all our time and attention on learning everything we could about it. So podcasts, books, going to events, all these things. And initially, after deciding we were going to go after our first deal, we started going to conferences. Uh, and this really helped because we were networking with people, seeing what it was doing to their lives. Uh, and to go into the faith, I know you guys are, are pretty faith-based. 
I, I grew up a Catholic, but I wasn't an active uh, follower of, of God, and I wasn't reading the Bible, I wasn't going to church, and I really didn't know anything about him. I didn't have a good relationship with him either. I would just say I was, you know, I didn't even know if I believed in it at the time. But once I started going to these events and networking and getting to these mastermind groups, I was picking up on all of their habits. Now I wake up early, I do yoga, I meditate, I work out every day, I eat healthy, I read a lot. But the one thing I, that, the last thing I picked up was, I was like, man, everyone here is a Christian or believes in the God. Mm. And I, I was like, why am I not trying that? And it took me a while to just get over my own ego. And it said, no, this actually might be something I want to try. Um, but that was the last thing that, like, once I, that literally happened for me of January of this year. So outside of that, Wow. So many good things have come from going to events, and I don't mean to ramble, but I thought it was pretty no, important lo- for me. I love that, and and some of the and podcasts that we've had have come from some incredible guys, and and really that's been a, a a foundational key for us is some of the best wisdom and insights on our journey in building abundant journey has been from guys who are living their faith. And I think being faithful with the small and being really hard yeah. workers and then God grows and uses them and they're so others focused. And we'll kind of end the show a little bit about that here in a minute. But mm-hmm. let me ask you this in terms of, you know, what's a day in the life look like today, not only for you and your brothers, but I'm also curious, it's a unique dynamic because you have three of you working together. And yeah. there is a, uh, there's a company out here that I regularly talk to with as a banker and it's three brothers running it. They took it over from dad and I love their story, That's but awesome. it presents, I think it's unique challenges, but also some incredible benefits to having like-minded people around you. So, so curious, like one, what is the day in the life look like for you guys? Yeah. And then two, what's the significance of doing this with your brothers? Yeah. So the day in the life, Fortunately, I actually live with my brothers. I, f- I find that as a, a blessing because I consider it a constant mastermind, especially when they're very like-minded. Mm, and I think yeah. habits outside of work, whether that's with big thing is faith, right? We all share that. We go to church together. Um, I'll just look over my shoulder and I see them like doing the things that I'm doing, like reading, Bible studies, things like that, which I think is awesome. Mm. Um, so is there a lot of benefits? For, for the one thing that I, one thing I always bring up is there's obviously a lot of issues and we argue a lot over petty things, small things outside of work. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. But the cool thing is, is you can get over that pretty quickly with a brother. I can tell them straight up like, hey, this is how I feel. I don't have to worry about them taking it the wrong way or not loving me after or just it being like a small thing that we won't we'll hold a grudge over. Uh, fortunately, they can't change that I'm their brother and they know I love them unconditionally. So especially in business, I think it's so important to actually speak what you actually want to say versus trying to like you know walk and tread over tread over it um, if you know what I'm saying but with them I don't have to do that I can be very very uh, straightforward and speak bluntly yeah. um, outside of that we have similar goals and values and I have friends who I think if I were to work with maybe they are not they don't you know they haven't come into their walk with Christ and certain things like that and I bring that up because it obviously determines how you view life and certain actions and habits and values that you that you have and a lot of that is transferable to your business and how you operate and certain decisions that you're willing to make uh, and my brothers share that so at the end of the day you know we're accountable to a higher power a lot of my friends and maybe potential business partners if they weren't I can see there being a big conflict of interest in a lot of ways so that that's probably the next biggest thing I would say uh, and the challenge is obviously living together 
I uh, can't get away from them <laughs> if I'm like not too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Good and bad, right? Um, but I think there's more benefits, man. I struggle to come up with challenges. I think I'd be creating them, uh, trying to like make yep. something up. I truly think there's so many benefits to it for me. Um, and, and at the end of the day, when we're not working, it's just you get to hang out with my friends. You know, we have a similar sense of humor. And I don't know if you guys agree, but I love to laugh. I love to make jokes. And it's awesome when you share that that sense of humor with your business partners because yep. if you can't laugh at yourself, then I think you're not really having fun or you're taking it too seriously. Yeah, unfortunately, Nick does not agree with you in that. <laughs> Nick is uh, he's always making fun of you, man. <laughs> Nick hates humor. Yeah, yeah. Hates, hates laughter. It's, it, 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 not the best uh, workplace culture uh, sitting down with Nick James, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's so true. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's interesting just uh, in uh, in having a relationship with God and having that sort of intentionality, recognizing that. Um, everything that you're doing is in submission to a authority above you. Um, it does change the, uh, what your end goals are and how you view, I imagine the future of your business. And so I am curious what that looks like for you and your brothers. I mean, what, what is the, uh, the ultimate goal with what you're building? Do do you see yourself long-term in um, syndicating big deals? Is there something else that you'd like to get into or move the business toward? And, um, and kind of uh, not to jump ahead too far. And um, I don't know if it's okay if you don't have an answer to this, yeah. but it's like when all is said and done, I mean, what do you, what are you wanting to get out of all of your uh, endeavors with investing in real estate? Yeah. So obviously uh, I'm new to my faith. So I say that with just a preface what I'm going to say, because I know you guys, I'm sure you guys have been followers of Christ for a lot longer than I have, and I'm still learning so much about it. But initially uh, to answer your first question, long-term I I do see myself being in real estate for the rest of my life at this point that could change. Cool. Um, I, I have a question for you guys too, and my brothers and I try to like throw this question around all the time. And I, the question is, when it comes to business and trying to obviously build wealth and help others build wealth, is there like ever a conflict of interest when it comes to like being a follower of Jesus Christ and, and God? Because it sometimes seems like I'm only doing it to benefit myself. Now I can say I'm going to do it to help others, and I obviously mean that to a certain extent because we have investors and through our education we're obviously educating others. But obviously, you might get wealthy, you know, by doing that. Um, and a lot of people in my like close local church that I go to, uh, they haven't chosen to go down that path. And it, sometimes I don't think they're trying to purposely make me feel bad for it. But sometimes I do feel bad for it. Um, so, like what I'm going to say is like I want to build a billion dollar real estate company with my brothers. That's been our goal for the longest. Um, so I don't know if that's a bad thing that I have that desire. I, I sometimes like to think that maybe God gave that to me for a reason. Uh, but maybe he didn't. I don't know. Right. I'm still figuring it out, to be honest. But and you guys can answer that too. Um, but I want to make sure I answer yours first. So after that, I think long-term, man, a life by design for myself, my mom, my family. And I truly think that if I'm, I'm able to do that at a pretty young age, I can turn back and help others. I can do that while I'm doing it too, through the content. Um, just the amount, amount of people that have reached out through our social media, just letting us know how inspired they are by our journey, even though we're not, we're just getting started. I can only imagine how many more people we can help. So that's the goal. It's really just to show other people that, you know, if we can do it coming from where I come from, obviously it wasn't the worst beginnings, but I like to think it was somewhat humble. Uh, try to inspire others to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I've uh, I've certainly wrestled with that uh, tension, um, and uh, you know, our other um, uh, partner is part of the Abundant Journey uh, business. Uh, Tyler, he's he's still in uh, full time pastoral ministry, so I know it's a very live um, kind of issue for him as far as just wrestling with it. And uh, and so I know that different Christians are going to have different um, takes, um, but I think under the the large umbrella of just looking at like man, everything in the world is God's like all of the wealth ultimately mm. uh, belongs to him. And so um, building a, a billion dollar business um, is morally neutral, um, but it's, it's where your heart is at in that and how you like, why you want to build it that really matters, you know? And, and so if it's uh, building a billion dollar business so that you can have the, the private jet and the Lambo and live a life that's all about you, where you feel like a, a little God on earth. Right. Um, then of course, like that's one, you know, uh, it's just not going to be satisfying. Um, but if it's uh, building a billion dollar business because um, you're doing what you're wired to do, doing something that you love to do, and because uh, by building that billion dollar business, um, you're providing um, stable, awesome housing to thousands upon thousands of residents and you're able to take care of them and you're able to create jobs and income for, you know, countless other people yeah. who are working as property managers and you're able to be a blessing to your own family, to your mom, to your um, immediate community and beyond. Um, I mean, we had a conversation with another guy uh, who is running a, a billion dollar a year um, business and he talks about um, having profits with a purpose and how um, by becoming more profitable, it just adds to how much he and his company are able to give away, how much good they're able to do in the world. And so in that regard, it's like, man, I, I want uh, all the Christians to be billionaires because I trust how they're going to yeah. deploy those funds to make a real positive impact in the world compared to uh, to those that don't have um, the same alignment of, uh, seeing right. that it all belongs to God anyway. Mm. So it's kind of that, uh, Jesus taught us to pray like, Lord, let your, your kingdom come and yeah. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, uh, I think, um, money is part of, uh, realizing that, that prayer, um, having, uh, financial resources to leverage and just say, all right, Lord, what does, uh, what does heaven look like and how can I spend my resources to help realize that in greater measure here? So, um, awesome. I, I know that that's, uh, Nick and I talk a lot about that with our own, um, endeavors and, and kind of the question of like, well, yeah. what, you know, with what, what we're building and, um, and growing our, our own income, you know, what are the ultimate goals in that? And it, it feels like, yeah, the amount of money is not where the issue is. It's where the heart is at and how that money is, is deployed and how we think about it. Yeah. That's an awesome answer. Thank you. I I love that, and I love that the interviewers are becoming the interviewees. So thank you for switching that on. That's amazing. I, I, I would wholeheartedly echo what Nick has said, and I would encourage you and our listeners to go back and listen to the Joel Anderson podcast because the entire episode, and when we say episode, he talked for an hour and a half, and we really didn't even ask questions. And it, it, it was phenomenal. But he talked in the episode yeah. about how his entire life is marked by radical generosity and 
how do you make a difference and an impact? And yeah. and his his desire at the end of his life is to show up with in rags in mm. and say like I gave everything away, even though he's overseeing an over multi billion dollar company. Um, so that would be super encouraging for you. But yeah. the only I think the only there's maybe two thoughts I would just add not so not to repeat Nick, but the first is that. There in the church, I think, is this mindset and there is this this belief that like money is evil, where scripture talks mm. about the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And so money, yeah. when you recognize it as a tool, and as Nick said, to be used for the kingdom, it's the heart. So one, I would say it goes back to that, who are you surrounded with who can keep you in check and ask the hard questions mm-hmm. as you build wealth? Two, I would say as Joel, and I'll steal a little bit from his episode, you know, he talked about if you don't make generosity, and I think that's the antidote for the love of money is radical generosity. And if you don't make radical generosity a part of your DNA now, when you aren't a multimillionaire, you won't make it all of the sudden when you reach X. And so his whole encouragement was, Make generosity, make giving, make helping others the priority now and interweave it into your life as you go forward. So I love that. The only other thing I'll say is that if you if you look on our website, we talk a lot about pies and probably people think we bake pies and that's <laughs> what we're selling, but it isn't the case. And I've shared this once or twice before, but I sat with a extremely successful business owner who loves the Lord. The entire top floor of his massive business is dedicated to nonprofits and organizations that they can have space to run their operations out of. And one of the the springboards for launching Abundant Journey was his words of everybody in the world is convinced that there's just one pie and you need to get as big a piece of that pie as you can before it's gone. And that's such a worldly mindset. And he looked at me and said, as a Christian, we're called to make more pies. We're Mm. called to bake, bake pies, make pies and give and, and provide and have that generosity mindset. And so for me, and I've shared that story with Nick. I'm sure he's dreaming about pies now, but you know that in and of itself has been so significant for us. And I think the more that you guys interview people, the more that you network, the more you build relationships, you're going to be able to see the real people. And it's not going to be the people who talk. It's not going to people be the people who say, "Oh yeah, no, I love to give her. I love to share her. I love you know the Bible's." talks all about those kind of people. It's the people who are their action and their lives and how they operate is marked by that radical generosity. And Mm -hmm. so those are the people you want in your corner. And I think that that, uh, those are the people who are going to help you move forward and be the guardrails as you guys grow. And and the Lord does great things with what your business is and what you guys are doing. So did I answer the question? It does. No, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) I love the question. Um, Nick, you got something before we wrap this thing up? No, well, I was just going to say, man, I, uh, it's not going to surprise me in the least if, uh, if you guys actually do it, you build the the billion dollar, um, business because you've, you've got the hustle, you've got the the drive, you're forming the the connections, you're getting the education. I mean, it's just, uh, it very impressive. Um, everything that, that y'all are building. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So keep up the hard work. Well, we'll we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up and switch over to our gold nugget round. So we have four questions for you. We ask all of our audience. One of the things that we talk about a lot at Abundant Journey is we call it the six F's of Abundant Journey. And it's family, finance, faith, failures, fitness, and future. I'm not going to make you answer all those, but (laughs) pick one of those categories that's important to you this year here in 2023. And what are you doing to improve yourself in that area? Yeah, I'd say faith, definitely. Um, All the other ones, I'm not going to say I'm a master at them, but faith is probably the one that I want to work the most at this year. So the way that I do that is I've learned religious disciplines. Uh, it's, It's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. So for me, that's by going to my church on Sundays I have a Bible study on on Thursdays every other week, and then I read my Bible every morning. So I think one thing I'm struggling with going through the Bible for the first time is really engaging with it. Since a lot of it, it's really new, and I don't really understand some of the things that I'm reading. So Mm -hmm. trying to be very, uh, I'd say, present and trying to put a lot of effort into really trying to understand what the Bible's talking about when I read it. Uh, by, by sticking with those religious disciplines, I, I think that would allow me to grow in that way this year. That's great. No, that's great. And uh, we can, offline, we can talk about some different Bible study strategies too. We're happy to no. be an encouragement for you there. Um, next question, what's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you on your journey? Good mentor. Hmm. Yeah, the one that comes to mind, or one I already shared, but the second one would be, you are who you surround yourself with. So as I've grown away and changed my habits outside of college and high school as a non-believer, going into business as a believer, and even business as a non-believer at first, um, I've now surrounded myself with more and more. And it's interesting that I've, as I've become a, like a, you know, more active in my faith, I've noticed that a lot of people I didn't know were, were faithful are faithful. So it's interesting that, that you kind of attract that as you become that. Yeah. Uh, you start to become more aware of it too. So. Uh, the number one thing is that you are the, some of the five people you surround yourself with. Yep. I love that. We just dropped an episode today with another young gentleman who's a realtor in Tennessee. And he, man, Nick, you can attest to this. That was just, that was pivotal for all of his success is who am I around? Who am I surrounded with? Who's sharpening me? Who's helping me get better? Who's holding me accountable? And I think there's that piece with your brothers too, that you guys are able to be able to be that for one another. So press into that, even on the days, maybe you, maybe you need to take a break or take a walk (laughs) or something, but, but really cling to that. I love it. Uh, all right. Couple more here. What's a dream or goal that you've not been able to make happen yet? Retire my mom. I love it. And you started with that. I mean, I, I think yeah. we didn't really go back there too much, but really thinking through that's the fire. You said it. I mean, that's the fire in your belly is like yeah. seeing the way that your mom has given to you guys and then being able to turn around and give back to her. I mean, what an, what an incredible why. So that's, yeah. I love that. Um, I think Nick stole this thunder a little bit on this last question here, but I'm going to ask it again anyways. So at the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? I always like to say I want to be someone that's known for their faith. Uh, So I'd say number one is putting, I put God first. And outside of that, obviously everyone says this, but uh, I want to help inspire people in the sense of, I was a college kid going to school because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I thought that's what I was supposed to do, but maybe I can just by living my life the way that I, I would hope to have lived it. I let people know that you don't necessarily have to go the traditional route. Uh, there's definitely other ways that you can be successful or just live a fulfilled life. 
That's great. No, and what a what a it's that deeper purpose. We've been talking about it. I mean, a, a greater purpose behind just making money and buying nice things. Not that we all don't like nice things. So, well, that's awesome. Yeah. We're going to wrap this thing up. I'm super, super grateful for you uh, being on with us today. What are some ways people can get a hold of you guys? Yeah, you can visit our social media platforms at Donis Brothers. And then please check out our website. Um, you can visit our checklist for any passive investor who's looking to vet any passive investment opportunities at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. And then our podcast is The Real Estate Monopoly. Yeah, and uh, I don't. You want to add a little excerpt in about what you guys focus on on the podcast, and people yeah. I think should definitely check it out. For sure, uh, it's just where we bring on typically uh, apartment syndicators, but we also have real estate professionals and other experienced real estate investors on the show. Uh, my twin brother hosts that, so if you want to hear a little bit more well spoken but a more boring <laughs> person, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's pretty good. <laughs> uh, he's the he's the awesome host. I think he does a great job. We're really just asking questions and sort of getting, trying to give our audience a great, um, great education that, you know, other people that have been through all the failures and mistakes and what they've learned from it and give that to our audience. I love that. Solid. We will certainly include those links in the show notes. Uh, Jeffrey, you're amazing. I love what you and your brothers are doing. Um, to your end goal of being an inspiration to people. I'm sure that uh, beyond what you can even imagine right now, you're already accomplishing that with uh, the things that you're doing and uh, the ways that you've been able to share your story. Thank you for sharing your story with us here. Listeners, thank you all for engaging. And um, I, I know that you found value in this. If you want to continue to uh, to connect with us and dig a bit deeper, uh, we've got our website, AbundantJourney.net. There's a new newsletter you can sign up for. So that way you get some exclusive content from the mind of Nick James and I. And uh, make sure you don't miss out on, on anything else. But this has been awesome. Super grateful. And um yeah, I, I hope that uh, I hope we'll have a follow up episode yeah. with you here in a few years, Jeffrey, and get a status update on all the cool things that are happening. I think that's a wrap.